Welcome to Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Onaway, Michigan. I'm Pastor Trent Wahlberg, and you're listening to Preaching and the Word. The word for today, the fifth Sunday in Lent, comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you want to succeed in life, you need to take risks. Be bold. Have confidence. That's how it works. You know what they say. No guts, no glory. That expression actually can be traced back to an Air Force Major General, Frederick Blasse, who wrote the book on air-to-air combat in 1955. It was a manual, actually, entitled, you might be able to guess it, No Guts, No Glory. In the introduction, General Blasse writes, the one thing a training program must produce if the graduate pilots are to be successful in combat is aggressiveness. It is this pilot aggressiveness which we seek. Without it, all training is useless, for the individual pilot must have the desire to put into effect that which he has been taught. Amazing results have been achieved in combat through aggressiveness alone, but it has been proven time and time again that all the training in the world is insufficient when the individual does not have it in his heart to engage the enemy or destroy the target. Certainly, then, the goal which we seek or should be seeking in the training of any pilot is to produce a pilot who is aggressive and well-trained. Hence the title, No Guts, No Glory. Of course, there is a time to be on the defense as well, and there's a section in his manual on defensive maneuvers and formations. But you must be ready to strike when the time comes. And when the time comes to take action, you've got to commit, be confident and bold, especially if it's war, especially if there's life and death on the line. 
A moment's hesitation could mean the difference between life and death, between victory and defeat. If you want the glory, you've got to have the guts. The apostles James and John, I think, had guts. In fact, they had a nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Now, we don't know for sure where they got that nickname from, but most scholars agree that it had to do with their personalities. They were bold and boisterous. They were thundering men. They were aggressive. Now, many people these days think that aggressiveness is a bad thing or a negative thing. It's part of toxic masculinity and all that nonsense. But it's not always a bad thing. It's not necessarily negative. And it's true that it can sometimes be associated with violence and abuse. And certainly that would be the negative side of it. But there's also a positive side of aggressiveness. As General Blisset writes, it's an essential quality in pilots and warriors. Confidence, bravery, and courage are all parts of aggressiveness. It's all part of having guts. You've got to have guts to get the glory. You can see the guts that these sons of thunder had in our gospel text. They took the initiative and went right up to Jesus and made a request, a demand, actually. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's a bold move. It took confidence, took some aggressiveness, some decisiveness on their their part. Jesus answered, ask away. What can I do for you, boys? We want you to give us a place at your right hand and at your left hand when you come into your glory. They wanted a promotion They wanted to be Jesus' right-hand men when he takes his rightful place as king over Israel. They wanted glory, and they thought that they had what it takes to take it. When When Jesus warned them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They answered with confidence, we are able. We can do it, Jesus. These guys had guts. They had the guts to seize their dreams and aspirations. Any businessman or military commander could see that they were confident. They were sure of themselves and determined. I'm sure they did have what it takes to succeed in most any environment. I bet they would have made excellent fighter pilots, for instance. They had winning attitudes. But they didn't know what they were asking for. They didn't understand that the glory of God is quite different than the glory of men. So what is glory anyways? When we use expressions like no guts, no glory, we're usually talking about glory as some kind of success or greatness. Whether it's high stakes, life or death, winning victory in the skies of battle, or if it's lower stakes, like winning games, getting first place in competitions and tournaments, Having glory is being on top. It's being somebody, somebody great and important that people remember and know by name. In Hebrew, the word for glory is kavod, which has to do with weightiness. Glory is something real and substantive. It is solid and heavy. It is something that endures. It is something that matters. In a way, this is what we have in mind when we speak about glory. It's what James and John seemed to mean, too. 
but they were confusing their vain desires for greatness with glory. There's a huge distinction between vanity and glory. They're really the opposite things. We fail to recognize that what we fail to recognize what's really real, what's really glorious, what has real weight to it and significance. We often fail to recognize where the true weight of glory is found. We tend to associate glory with success as if it as if that were what's important and lasting. If I'm the best in my chosen sport or victorious in battle, I will win glory. Then I will be somebody important. I will be remembered. I will be immortalized among the stars with my name written in stone and on brass plaques, immovable for all time. Even if I go down in a blaze of glory, people will remember me for my courage and bravery. Like the 300 Spartans who held off the Persian forces at Thermopylae, people seek money and power and fame all for the same reason. It all comes from our eternal desire for glory, to be solid and real, to have a lasting weight behind us and lasting value. Jesus was, in fact, coming into his glory. James and John believed that their teacher was the Christ, the promised king of Israel, but they assumed that his glory would be marked by success over crushing his enemies under heel, the Romans by name. They assumed that his glory would be as a king arrayed in earthly splendor and wealth and military might, that he would come into his glory having because he had the guts to take it by force. And if they seized the opportunity, they could also share in his glory as his highest-ranking officials at his left and right hand in the Messianic age. But Jesus knew what true glory is. He knows what really matters and what's important and lasting. And it isn't what the world says it is. Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Those who are considered important, powerful, prestigious, and the elites of the world are no, they know that they are superior, at least think they're superior, and are happy to hold their lessers underfoot. Those who are glorious and glorified by the world revel in their glory and self-importance. And they're hated for it, honestly. We know this today. But it shall not be so among you. You shall not be like those who seek their own glory. That is not how God's kingdom works. Glory is not found in glorifying ourselves, but in glorifying God, who gives us the glory through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must become your servant, and whoever would be first among you must become slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was, in fact, about to be glorified, but he would be glorified through suffering. Our gospel reading for today begins as Jesus and his disciples were going up to Jerusalem. It says that Jesus was walking ahead of them, sort of like leading the, the formation, like a flight formation. He's the, the, the top gun, right? It says that they were amazed and those who followed him were afraid. The picture being painted 
uh, shows Jesus as leading the formation. He is bold, confident, determined, and dare I say, even aggressive as he prepares for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The atmosphere was one of fear and amazement, as if the scent of battle was looming in the air. Jesus' disciples had a sense that something great and glorious was coming. They didn't know quite what. They thought they did, but they didn't really know. When Jesus took the twelve aside, he told them what was going to happen. He said, all right, man, here's the game plan. See, we are going up into Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. What a great plan. Maybe he delivered it with such enthusiasm and with such conviction that they just were, uh, were all revved up. Ready? Break. It doesn't seem like they were even listening. After Jesus had said that, James and John immediately proposed their, uh, you know, tried to get their foot in the door as his right and left-hand men, right? They saw their chance and they took it, right? They showed their, their initiative. It's like they were too preoccupied with their own delusions of grandeur and plans of future glory that they didn't even hear what Jesus was talking about. They didn't realize what kind of glory was to come. Jesus would be glorified on his cross. He had the guts to die and to be defeated. He had... He, was great enough to humble himself to be the servant of all. By his innocent suffering and death, Jesus was raised victorious. And that's where true glory is found, in the death and resurrection of our Lord. Glory is that which is weighty. It is solid and real, immovable. It is not blown away in the wind or passing with time. It is fixed in eternity. James and John asked to be seated at his left and right hands when he came to his glory, but Jesus said that wasn't for him to give. That's because to sit on his left and right was already prepared for those two thieves who were crucified next to him, even though only one of them actually honored him. Only one of them had faith. On the cross, Jesus was glorified. That is the eternal moment, the one moment in all of in all time that has a weight to it, and everything else sort of revolves around its gravity. That is the eternal moment prepared before the foundation of the world, whereby every sin would be atoned for. And then, when he rose after three days, his body was glorified. It became something so solid and real that it lives even today at the right hand of the Father. It could walk through walls. Walls had no, uh, had no, were not solid compared to him. Jesus, Jesus' glorious resurrection also is his glory. But he can only be raised if he was crucified. His crucifixion is his glory then, but it can only be glorious. His crucifixion is only glorious if he was raised. And so you see, in Jesus, life swallows up death, so that in him we would also be glorified in our own deaths because we will be raised with him. James and John would drink the cup that he drinks and be baptized with, with the baptism with which he was baptized, and you also will drink the cup 
that Jesus drank and be baptized with the baptism with which he is baptized in your own baptism. When you come to the Lord's table uh, to eat to eat and drink his body and blood, you share in his glory. You have his name put upon you for all time and eternity. So much of our time here on earth is spent chasing after glory. And by glory, I don't mean real glory, but merely success and recognition from other sinful people. We have nothing to fear in Christ, neither in life or in death, because he is the real thing. He is all that that matters. Being crucified and raised with Christ, having been baptized into his baptism and drinking his cup of salvation, you too have glory that will never fade away. They say that they say no guts, no glory. And that's true enough, I suppose, but not in the way you might think. If what we mean is that we can win lasting glory by our own initiative and our own uh, gutsiness, then I think it falls short. But if what we mean is that Jesus had the guts, even spilled his own guts to defeat death itself by his own death and resurrection, then to him be all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God pass his understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to this show. If you would like to support our ministry here at Holy Cross in Onaway, you can share this podcast and give us a five-star rating. If you would like to make a financial gift, please make checks payable to Holy Cross Lutheran Church and mail it to us at 3786 Glacier Road, Onaway, Michigan. That's G-L-A-S-I-E-R Road, Onaway, Michigan, 49765. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.